Welcome, Fellowship Asheville. No matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you. Today, I want to start off with a theory that I have. You see, I think every person, whether you're, you're watching this or listening to this, has one particular struggle in common. And I think that if we could get rid of this struggle or even lessen it in degrees, all of our lives would be better for it. Now, some of you uh, have a lot of your time and energy and thinking spent on this common struggle, and some of you not so much. But um, for, for every one of you, when this struggle creeps in, and it does, when it does creep in, it never does any good, right? And so what is this thing which I have a theory plagues all of us from some degree? What, what does it do? You see, no matter who you are or where you are, worry does creep into our lives. And when it does, it does nothing good. And that's what we're going to talk about today is worry. Now, worry is a biblical word. And sometimes we use the word anxiety to talk about worry. And, and, and for today's sermon, I'm going to separate those two words. Right, because I want to start off right first and, and, and say that today we aren't talking about the kind of anxiety uh, which requires medication and, and all of that. Listen, listen, I am a big fan of medication, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of counseling. That's what I got my master's in. And I believe that God created our brains and sometimes our brains need medication to, to function better. And so today... I please hope that no way do I want you to hear that medication isn't godly to deal with anxiety because it certainly can be. And that's why I'm going to use the word worry today. I'm going to talk about worry because worry does something very specific. Here's what worry does. Worry looks at the future, right? And it could be like years away, it could be minutes away, it could be 15 years away, it can be 15 minutes away. But worry looks at the future and always asks the same question. It always makes you ask the same question. And here's the question. The question is, do I have what it takes? Right? That's what worry does. It looks to the future and says, do I have what it takes? So in other words, worry will take a new parent holding their baby and worry will make them say, do I have what it takes to raise a toddler? Right? Worry will take a parent of a toddler. And as they're, as they're training that toddler, as they're raising that toddler, worry will make them go, do I have what it takes to raise a teenager? Right? Worry will look at a daily calendar and, says, do, and say, ask, do I have what it takes for this next meeting? Worry will look at the world around us right now and say, do I have what it takes to get through all of this? And so the, all the reason that I speak with, with so much authority about this theory that I have, that, that we all struggle with worry and that worry is present in all of us, is because worry is present in my thinking. And sometimes it's there real loudly. Now, many of you know this story, but for those of you who don't, you see, what I'm doing right now is something that I never, ever thought that I would be doing. See, I was one of those guys that, like I said, I went to seminary, I went to graduate school to be a counselor. And I remember sitting in the library, loving my studies, and, and, and having this, this 
prayer conversation with God. And I remember, I, I, I specifically mem- remember where I was in the library, and I remember telling God there's two things that I don't want to do. I don't want to be a church planter, and I don't want to be a preacher. Well, here's, here's what God did with that. We planted Fellowship Asheville in 2008. And I was co-pastoring it at the time. And for those of you who are new to the church world, that's what church planter means. It means that you start churches. And I started off co-pastoring. I started off church planting uh, this with another pastor. And through a chain of events led by the hand of God, I became the lead pastor of Fellowship Asheville in 2012. And since then, we started with 10 people in 2008. And since then, God has grown this church to quite honestly, I don't even know how many during, during this pandemic. But I know God has continued to grow this church. We launched Fellowship Weaverville uh, just over a year ago. And in all of that, guess what? I became a church planter and I became a preacher. Isn't God funny? But you know what else is true about all of that? Almost every day, if not multiple times a day, I have the same question run through my mind. Right? That question of, Fred, do you have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to lead? Do I have what it takes to, to counsel, to preach? Do I have what it takes to serve, to encourage, uh, to love, to, to, to guide? Do I have what it takes to confront sin when I see it? You see, that question keeps ringing through my head. And you see, I don't think I'm the only one who asked this question. That's my theory. And so do you find yourself asking that question? Do you find yourself asking, do I have what it takes? Let me know if I'm correct in my theory that, that we're all kind of in this, in this same common struggle together. If you're watching on Facebook, go ahead and hit like. Even if you're watching later, you can go ahead and hit like. Or maybe leave a comment if you keep asking the question in your soul, do I have what it takes? Give me a like if worry is something that you deal with. Because if this is you, if you're hitting like right now, the text that we're going to see today, this text that we're going to see today has helped me uh, reduce the worry in my life. It's actually helped me to know what to do when worry creeps in and does what it does when it does nothing good. And I hope it'll do the same for you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to do verses 13 through 21. And so grab your Bibles, open it up, and go there with me. Uh, We're in this summer series called Summer Essentials. And what we're going to see today is oftentimes worry seems so important, and particularly what causes worry seems so important. But we're going to see that there's something else that's essential. And not only is it essential to deal with, with worry, it is essential to deal with worry, particularly in this time of a worldwide pandemic, particularly in this time of racial tensions. Like, like it, is, it is essential that we know what to do with worry. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background about this text. Um, uh, this, this, this story that we're going to see, this account involves Jesus and his disciples. And, and right before the, the scriptures where we start, uh, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. He's just died. Now, something to know about Jesus and John the Baptist is that they were very close, right? As a matter of fact, they were so close that when, when Jesus was still in Mary's womb, she, she went to visit Elizabeth, and that's John's mother, and John was still in Elizabeth's womb. And, and, and John, in the womb, leaped for joy when Jesus came into their house. Like, like they were that good of friends, that even before birth, they were happy to see each other. It was John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. 
They were very close. And, 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 and where we're going to pick up today, the disciples had just found out that John had been beheaded. And so they just told Jesus that someone really close to him, if not one of his best friends, was, was gone. In verse 13, we see Jesus' reaction to this news. In verse 13, it says this. So chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So here's what Jesus, here's his reaction to this news, is that he wanted to be alone. He, I would imagine he wanted to pray, he wanted to process, he wanted to spend time in fellowship with the Heavenly Father. But look what he got. So he goes into a boat to get alone, and he goes to a place that's desolate, thinking no one's there. Look at the rest of verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Now, now here's what's interesting. Instead of being alone, he got this crowd. Right? Instead of getting rest, he got more. Right? And, and in this case, his more was ministry. But what we're going to see as we talk through this is you have more in your life probably right now than you anticipated, maybe even more than you're comfortable with, maybe even more than you feel prepared for, maybe so much more that you keep asking the question, do I have what it takes? And your more could be that in the midst of exhaustion, right? Because this, this pandemic, we're all exhausted, right? Even, even if we're doing less, for some reason, we're all exhausted. And maybe, maybe in the midst of your exhaustion, your more is that little baby that wakes up in the middle of the night crying and wakes up in the middle of the night sick and you just feel like you don't have what it takes. Maybe your more is in this chaotic time of life. You discover a, drugs in a teenager's room or you discover a secret that's been revealed and it just feels like more than you can handle. Maybe, maybe you're working hard right now, barely making it, and you just got laid off or you just got furloughed again. And maybe that feels like more. You see, our more can look very different than Jesus's, but the feeling is probably the same. That feeling of tired, overwhelmed, exhausted, that, that feeling of worry, right? That question of, do I have what it takes for whatever's next? Well, let's look at how Jesus handles that. Look at his response. In verse 14, he says this, it says this, when he went ashore, he saw a, he saw a great crowd. So, so Jesus sees this crowd. And he looked on the shore and he saw them. Now, now, a little bit later, towards the end, we're going to find out that this crowd was numbered, right? They counted it, and they counted about 5,000 men is the way that they numbered it, which means they didn't number the women or children that were there, although it's assumed that they were there. And so, so even though it's 5,000, I think it's very safe to easily say there were 15,000 people that were waiting for Jesus when he saw the crowd, right? That was his more. 15,000 people, just to give you a picture of what that's like, the Cherokee Center here in Asheville, um, holds 7,200 people. So imagine two Cherokee centers full of people waiting for Jesus to get out of the boat and come and help them. Well, look at what Jesus does in the rest of verse 14. It says, And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, this word compassion means that he had this guttural reaction to what he saw, like he was moved to emotion. And he had this pit of his stomach and this emotion moved him physically because he saw them, he had compassion, and he healed them. He did, he did ministry. Jesus saw something that moved him to care and to minister. 
And it moved him to do this. It moved him to give more of himself away when actually what he wanted to do was get away. And even in the midst of his exhaustion and sadness, he still kept ministering. Now, this would be a great place to stop, wouldn't it? Like if I stopped here, this would be a great line. It's catchy and it's memorable and everything. Like if I said, don't get away, give yourself away. That's how you deal with worry. The problem is, please don't write that down, by the way. Even though the slide just came up, don't write that down. Because the problem is, that's actually a huge problem. Right? Jesus can do that. And we're going to see the disciples go through this process, and we're going to learn from them, but Jesus can do that. See, that's not what these verses show us. The story doesn't end here, and if I stopped here, I would do it a huge disjustice, because not getting away and giving yourself away doesn't actually get rid of worry. All it does is it gets you burned out. And church, I don't need you burned out. You don't need you burned out. Your family doesn't need you burned out. I can't stop here because the text doesn't stop here. You see, Jesus looked on the crowd and he had compassion. And that compassion moved him to minister. And you see, I think in Jesus, we see the right response ultimately. But in the disciples, we see how to get there. Because their response is often the response that we have when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel like the question, the answer to that question, do I have what it takes, when the answer is no. Because look at how they see this same crowd. So they're with Jesus, right? Look how they see this same crowd. Because I think it's, it's often how we see all the mores facing us, right? All the, all the not enoughs, all the do I have what it takes. Because what the disciples see is often what creates worry. Let's look at what they see in verse 15. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came and said to him, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away and go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And so the disciples look at this crowd and where Jesus, where Jesus had compassion and where he, he, he saw ministry, here's what the, the disciples see. They see no resources, right? That's what desolate means. It means that there's literally nothing there. They see no time, the day was over, darkness was coming, they have no money, they have no food. All they see is a bunch of no's. That's what the disciples see. The disciples see a whole bunch of no's. Worry asked them the question, do you have what it takes? And all they saw was no, no we don't. And in seeing no's, they actually see the greatest no is that they wanted Jesus to send the people away. They wanted no people. You see, they were just where Jesus was at the beginning of, of this ministry, but, but their responses are very different. They wanted to be alone. They too were exhausted. They were done. And all they saw was more, and their answer was no. But y'all, look at what Jesus does to them. I love this in verse 16. It says, But Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. In other words, Jesus looks at these disciples and says, no, 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 they don't need to go anywhere. You've got what it takes. And they're looking at each other going, nah, I don't think you know, because look at, look at what happens in, in verse 17. Like they're saying they're done, and Jesus is saying, hold on, hold on. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, they said to him, we only have five loaves here and, and two fish. In other words, they're saying, now, remember Jesus we actually don't have enough. Remember, we don't, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough daylight. You see, their answer to Jesus was, Jesus, we don't have what it takes. 
We don't have what it takes to do what you've asked us to do. Now, how many of you know that feeling? If so, then you are right there with the disciples. And here's what I love about Jesus. There's no condemnation here, right? Right? It's just this, okay, trust me. Trust me. Because that feeling of God asking you to do something that seems way too big for you to do or way too much out of your comfort area, way too far beyond your experience, way too beyond your skill set, that feeling is what Jesus felt when those 15,000 people were standing on that shore staring at him. It's what the disciples felt. It's what, it's what you felt. It's, it's what you felt when those 15,000 people, imagine this, I'm assuming most person had two eyes, right? That's 30,000 eyeballs staring at the disciples saying, will you help us? Will you feed us? Now here's the deal. Your more may feel like 30,000 eyeballs staring right at you, needing something from you that you think you don't have to give. And that's what worry feels like. It asks the question, do I have what it takes? And worry is very clear with you to tell you, no, you don't. And that 30,000 eyeballs staring at you needing help can be embodied in one toddler, right? It can be embodied in a friend that you need to have a tough conversation with. It can be embodied in a boss or a client. Kids, students, listen. I know school might feel like those 30,000 eyeballs are staring at you, right? School might bring up these feelings of do I have what it takes, especially to navigate what school is going to look like in the next coming months, maybe even for the entire school year. We don't, we don't know. So this question is very real in, in this feeling of 30,000 eyeballs staring at you going, do you have what it takes? And so what is that 30,000 eyeballs staring at you? Because here's what it feels like and here's what worry does. Right? It feels wasteful. Worry is wasteful. Right, because here's, here's why it's wasteful. We spend this time and this energy on, on, on you know, it's full of wasted time. That's why it's wasteful. It's full of, of wasted energy. It's full of wasted emotion, right? I saw this quote once that, you know, worrying works. 90% of the stuff I worry about never happens. Well, here's the deal. You still spend energy on that 90% that never happened. And it's wasteful. Worry is wasteful. Well, church, look at what we're to do with our worry. Look at what we're to do with, with our not enough, with our no's, with our, with our don't have what it takes. Look at verse 18. And he said, and he said, so Jesus said, bring them here to me. So the disciples just told Jesus, we don't have enough. We've got, we've got loaves, we've got fish, but not nearly enough. Do we have what it takes? And Jesus said, bring what you have here to me. Now, what's interesting in the gospel of John we see that these loaves were barley loaves, right? You might be picturing a nice, lovely French baguette or something. That's not what this kid had. A barley loaf was the, was the bread of the poor. It was often cooked on communi in community ovens uh, or even over gravel ovens. And so a lot of times it even had little pebbles in it. Oftentimes it was stale because it was the bread of the poor. And so in every single way imaginable, what they had wasn't enough, certainly not enough to feed five loaves and two fishes, to feed two Cherokee centers full of people. Well, look at what Jesus does with what they have. Because y'all, listen, this is what Jesus does 
with your not enoughs. This is what Jesus does when your answer is, I don't have what it takes. And when you take it to Jesus, look at what he does in verse 19. In verse 19 is, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, which I love that part. Like Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And so Jesus took this meager amount of food. Imagine five, 15,000 people sitting down. And Jesus taking these simple bread and simple fish and lifting it up to heaven and blessing it. You see, this is what Jesus does. He blesses our not enoughs when we bring them to him. And it means that he consecrates them. He, he makes them sacred. He makes them holy. And he does that because when we give it to him, he actually makes it a reflection of who he is. Right? And how? Because in doing this, what the disciples are doing is they're saying, listen, this is our not enoughs. And in doing that, we get to see Jesus do what only he can do. We get to see this holy power distributed by Jesus. They got to see the common become powerful. They got to see their not enoughs become more than enough. And so you see there's something, there's something transformative here for our worry. And I think there's something transformative here that we all need to see. If I'm right and everybody struggles with worry to some degree, we all need to see. I know I need to see it again and again and again, and it's this. When you take what you have to Jesus, especially when it's not enough, when it's not enough to do what it takes, when you take what you have to Jesus, you get to see Jesus do what only he can do. Because right now, these disciples don't know what's about to happen. But we do. We know that bread and that fish multiplies to be enough to feed that entire crowd. And for us, y'all, this is where Jesus wants us. We never have what it takes to do what God is asking us to do, at least not by ourselves. I don't have what it takes to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good pastor to you. You see, when I told Jesus that I didn't want to be a church planter or I didn't want to be a preacher, I know I, know I said Jesus is funny, isn't it funny? But, but, but here's the deal. I was already answering this question for Jesus. I was already letting him know, hey, in case you have this in mind, I don't have what it takes. And I don't think Jesus actually laughed. I think he smiled because he knew what I didn't. He knew that when I brought him my not enoughs, he would make them more than enough. And in bringing my not enoughs to him, in stepping out of what I thought was comfortable for me, I would get to see Jesus do things that I never could have imagined him doing. You see, he knew I needed to be doing this more than I knew I needed to be doing anything else. And sometimes I think that if I'm not feeling overwhelmed, by what, by what God has asked me to do, I may not be doing what he asks, is asking me to do at all. I think God intentionally puts us in places where we need to, to come to him and to place our worries in his hands so that he can bless it. But look at what else he does. In verse 19, the rest of verse 19, it says, it says, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. So he took what he had, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to them. And you see, when you bring yourself to the Lord, when you bring your worries to the Lord, the first thing he does is he blesses you. 
and he blesses them. There's never any condemnation. And then, and then he broke the bread. And then he might break your worry for you. See, this is God's pattern. He blesses and then he breaks. And actually, that's the joy of our gospel, that he was broken so that we can be blessed, right? Right. That's the whole point of the gospel, that, 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 that sometimes, sometimes he does have to break what we bring to him. Right? Because sometimes our worry is caused by, by wrong thinking, it's caused by unbelief, it's caused by doubt, maybe even caused by bad theology, and that needs to be fixed. And, and he does that by breaking those things. And maybe you've been blessed, but now you're being broken. Can, maybe you're being broken right now. If this is you, let me tell you something that I've learned in years of dealing with worry, in years of, of being in a place of ministry, where I don't feel like I have what it takes. And it's this, that when you're being broken, God doesn't want you to learn something as much as he wants you to unlearn something. Because I'm going to tell you, the stuff that God wants you to learn is simple. It is to trust him, to love others. Like, like that's the simplest stuff that God teaches. That's easy to learn. What's hard is the stuff we have to unlearn. That's the stuff that God is breaking from us. It's the stuff that we go to for peace instead of placing our worries in his hands. It's, it's the stuff that we go to to, to find this, this fake contentment. And so church, when you place your worries in his hands, he blesses and he breaks. And when he breaks, it is worth it. Let's look and see what else happens in verse 19 because here's, here's what he does with it. After he blesses, he breaks, and he does this. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And so he took this bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples give it away. You see, they gave away what they were given by Jesus. And look at the response to that. Look at what happened to their no's. Look at what happened to their not enough. Look at what happened to the we don't have what it takes. In verse 20, it says this. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. You see, what happened with their not enoughs is it became too much. There were leftovers. You see, what Jesus blesses and what Jesus breaks and what he gives back to you to give away, that's when your not enoughs become more than enough. That's when your not enoughs to Jesus become more than enough. See, Jesus, that's what he does. He turns your not enoughs into more than enoughs. And so church, let me ask you today, what, what are your not enoughs? What, like where, where is worry asking you, do you have what it takes? Because you see, today can be the day that you take those to Jesus. Today can be the day that you place them in his hands to be blessed and to be broken and to be given back to you to give away to others. And maybe for you, you haven't even experienced this blessing from Jesus to begin with. You haven't experienced salvation found in him. You see, this is the greatest blessing that you can receive is saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus so you get this good and right and personal relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you. And maybe today you can say yes to Jesus and receive this blessing of salvation. Maybe today can be the first day that you take your worries 
and you place them in his hands to be blessed. For those of us who have done this, there's still blessing there for us too, right? We still take our worries to Jesus. And when you bring your worries to Jesus, you get to receive his blessing. There's this Psalm, Psalm 55. And it's this, David, David is in this season of life where he's been anointed king, but he's not king yet. And, and there's this other king named Saul that's coming after him. And so he's hiding out with these, he's hiding out and, and, and he gets word that Saul is coming to get him. And so there's this Psalm, Psalm 55, that describes the anguish that he's in. And it is a Psalm of despair and betrayal and worry. But then there's this verse that says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. That's what David did. That's what the disciples did. That's what we get to do. This is what we get to do with our worry, church. And I'm going to tell you right now, we get to do it today and later today. We get to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. But here's the joy. When we do, when we take what seems like not enough and and we place it into Jesus' hands and it's blessed and it's broken, it will be more than enough. And when we do, we get to see Jesus do what only he can do. And so y'all, here's what I'd love for you to do this week, is to memorize that Psalm, that verse from that Psalm, Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And when you feel that worry creep in, right? And when it does, it does nothing good. When you feel it creep in, you just say that verse. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And let that be your springboard to place your not enoughs in the hands of Jesus. To be blessed, broken, given back so you can give away. Y'all, I love you. I love being the church with you. Join me right after this for his Facebook Live and let's continue this conversation about what it looks like to place your worries into the hands of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, you love this church. You love your people. You love them bringing their worries to you. And Father, I pray for us and I pray for us as a church that we will do that. Whenever worry creeps in, and it does nothing good, Father. I pray that instead of wasting that time and energy on worry, we would instead utilize that time and energy to bring those worries to you and that we would be a changed people because of it, because we would get to see you do what we didn't even know you could do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. See you in a little bit.